and welcome to another episode of Oral Wax Facts. These are your hosts, Ruthie Patel and Mary McVary. So we are doing something different today. In this episode of Oral Max Facts, we want to challenge your thinking process on current issues in oral and maxillofacial surgery. Yes, friends, today we will be talking about a pressing topic in oral maxillofacial surgery on diversity and inclusion. Where are we today? To help us with this discussion, we have a very accomplished guest speaker with us, Dr. Kathy Hung. Dr. Hung, thank you for joining us today on our podcast. Hi, how are you? Um, it's uh, an honor to be invited uh, or on Max and thank you, Rudy and Miriam, for the invite. I feel very excited to be here today. Thank you. Is it okay if we call you Kathy throughout this podcast? Absolutely. Dr. Hung owns a solo practice in central New Jersey. She completed dental school at Columbia University and did her OMS training at Lincoln Medical and Mental Health Center in Bronx, New York. Dr. Hung is a writer, classically trained pianist, composer, and board-certified oral maxillofacial surgeon and a mother. She has authored a few books, including Pulling Wisdom, Filling the Gaps in Cross-Cultural Communication, and an upcoming book, Behind the Scalpel, The Practical Guide and Stories by Women Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons. These books are affordable and available easily on Amazon, so make sure you check them out. Let's focus on the diversity aspect of our conversation today. I want to emphasize that we are not going to exclusively talk about women diversity. We are also talking about gender, ethnicity, and sexual diversity today. And what could be a better group of people talking about this than us three, huh? That's right. <laughs> Indian, Persian, and Asian. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, before we start talking about this pressing issue, Miriam and I, and I'm sure our audience would like to know too, how did you become a part of Forbes Women Forum and Rebecca Minkoff's uh, Female Founder Collective? Um, I receive uh, private invitations to my emails, and I believe that's uh, because of my LinkedIn um, connections. Uh, I am in different business networking groups as a business owner outside dentistry or oral maxillofacial surgery. Uh, I really enjoy networking with professionals outside my industry, and it gives me different perspectives in um, how I see things. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Kathy, you're part of the American Dental Association Institute for Diversity in Leadership. Can you tell us about this program and its goals? Sure. Uh, the ADA's uh, Institute for Diversity in Leadership program is a one-year-long program that has three different meetings throughout the year. Uh, it aims at building leaderships for leaders that are underrepresented, such as minority and women. Uh, there's an application process, and the deadline is in April each year, each year. The program allows us to design an outreach pro project that enhances diversity and inclusion within the profession of dentistry. My class has uh, 25 dentists from different parts of the country, and it's a great program. I actually has, uh, spoke to another person who is in the leadership program, uh, other than Kathy, and she loves us. She says, what she finds most inspiring is about some of the speakers that they bring in and they get to see real examples of people who are really involved and uh, doing different things. That's my yes. classmate, Jemima, right? Yep. Oh, yes, right. Yes, 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 yes. She's uh, uh, in Jacoby. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. is. She's in Jacoby. She's, yeah, she's a, a great, 
We are we're on Facebook too. She's a great person. Yeah, <laughs> small world. <laughs> it is. I, I went through uh, ENT rotation at Jacoby, so we had a conversation oh, okay. about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny how three of us are connected through somehow Monsana and Doctor Monsana. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's always a pen connection somehow. Always, <laughs> yeah. always, pen is always involved. Yes. Uh, okay, so um, going back to with the reality of our life for for decades now, women are one of the underrepresented minorities in oral maxillofacial surgery, and you have done qu quite a few talks on diversity and inclusion, and it's been a hot topic of discussion these days. So I really want to applaud you for your initiative and leadership, because I can't imagine it being an easy journey for you to bring those topics and wanting to have those conversations. Yes, and thank you very much for your comments. Um, ever since I started this journey, I've received a lot of messages from people, uh, whether I know or I don't know, and they are um, connecting with me because they feel like they could really relate to my stories. Before we um, dive into this deeply, there's this one quote by Bernie Brown that comes to my mind, and it really resonated with me. Belonging is being somewhere where you want to be, and they want you. Fitting in is being somewhere where you want to be, but they don't care one way or the other. I can't tell you how much this quote practically immersed my thought. Um, I often find that women have to try harder at a workplace and find a way to fit in, and, they, and then it just doesn't feel like a flourishing environment. And if the work environment is not flourishing, how can one expect a positive growth? That's a really great point, and I love the quote, and I think that's exactly why diversity inclusion is team, uh, really a key to team success, and we must feel included as part of the team to flourish, and I will share with you some of my views on fitting in in a moment as well. So why don't we start by saying what does diversity and inclusion means to you, Kathy? Sure. And there's another quote that I really like that I'd like to share with you uh, by uh, Verna Myers, who is a diversity and inclusion specialist, and she's a test speaker. You can find her on YouTube. She said that diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. And so I think that speaks uh, great volumes. And um, diversity is really anything that sets us apart from others. And so that... Uh, you know, we just mentioned in the beginning that we have uh, between the three of us, Indian and Persian and Asian, you know, that's um, definitely diversity right there. Um, and anything uh, that can be religion, can be cultural beliefs or upbringings and age and anything that can set us apart. But inclusion is to actively engage diversity, which is a much bigger and harder job. Um, so that's, uh, in a nutshell, that's what diversity and inclusion mean. So I'm, I'm going to have to go check out this TED speaker. Sounds very interesting. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Kathy, what was your inspiration to take this initiative to be involved and voice this concern on diversity and inclusion? Um, I feel that I always took the road to less travel by, and one of my favorite poems by Robert Frost, and a lot of people know the road not taken, mm -hmm. uh, really describe it well. Um, and it says, two roads diverge in the wood, and I took the ones less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So, you know, growing up, I've traveled through different places and lived in different places, and I've chosen a career uh, that is not, to the both of you as well, that's not typically women. Uh, or minority. And so I feel that, you know, we were taught to conform to the majority since we were little. 
Um, we were often praised when we followed the rules of the majority and we were disciplined uh, when we deviated from the majority. Um, I believe that human beings feel a need to conform because following the majority is easy and comfortable. But there's no one minority group, but many minority groups. Minority really is considered different and people don't like different. And people feel uncomfortable. So this minority is not really limited to race or gender by anything that sets us uh, apart as different. As I mentioned before, and there are many different ways we can slice a pie. So I remember when I got into the residency, I was told to fit in, um, coming back to the, uh, your question already, uh, so that I could be one of the guys and <laughs> may not be, uh, foreign to many of us. And I think I was, a lot of us can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was the only female to match, uh, orofacial facial surgery in my dental school that year. Uh, when I did, a lot of people were surprised. And I remember 10 years ago, I bumped into a classmate, um, after graduation at a convention and she asked me, why I would be interested in oral facial surgery. And she said to me, she said, but you don't look like an oral surgeon. And <laughs> at that time, this was after fact that I've started a practice from scratch and I passed my board examination. So I thought to myself, what, what did look have to do with anything? <laughs> and <That's> so, true. <laughs> so diversity, you know, again, is anything that sets up uh, you apart from others. And we need to know as far as that we might be different, we don't need to necessarily have to conform by hiding our true identity, including our cultural heritage. And I don't feel that there should be a type. Um, I feel that oral masturbation surgeons need not have to be a certain height, a certain gender, a certain race, or a certain weight. Um, surgeons should be judged by his or her abilities, not how they look. You know, again, uh, there is a gender and race disparity, and that's most discussed and talked about in the workplace. Um, our nation, though, is getting more diverse, and there's a lot of uh, first-generation immigrants who speak different languages and practice different religions with different cultural values, and all that is really important to the, all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a fitting-in story myself that I'd like to share. I remember when I was interviewing for residency, it's been a few years now, and there were some programs that were notoriously known for taking their candidates to a strip club. I don't know how many other medical residencies do this. I really don't know. But I know for sure in our specialty, they do that. Mm -hmm. And young me back then tried to fit in and went to my first strip club experience. Mm -hmm. Not because I wanted to, but because I thought if I didn't go, you know, they would look at me like I'm someone who's not going to fit into their program. And they may not consider me as a candidate. But of course, the mature me now looking back, I'm like, hmm. I would have never even applied to a program like that or pursue a program like that, you know? Unfortunately, having similar kind of stories um, are still way too common. And when I was interviewing for different programs, I had in two different programs, they specifically asked me, well, how do you feel about uh, all the all the pressure that's going to be on you? How are you sure you're not going to develop uh, PTSD? And, you know, this is a very intense program. And I was like, you're the one who invited me here. Like, I mean, I thought I was like, I mean, it's just like, do you ask this question from men too? So um, let's talk about the impact that this diversity could have for oral maxillofacial surgery. Why do you think CAF is important to be inclusive? Um, I just earlier this month, I gave a talk with the New Jersey Society of Oral Maxillofacial Surgeons on diversity and inclusion. And um, in the talk, I, I uh, discuss about stereotypes and why it's important is because uh, when patients feel that they're being judged by stereotypes, a lot of times they tend to shun away from seeing doctors. 
And there are some studies that are done uh, in a uh, term called stereotype threat. If they feel that they're being judged, they tend to um, stay away uh, and not seeing their doctors. And therefore, the racial disparity mismatch then can translate into less quality for care. And if there's a racial predilection for certain diseases and there are less providers for that demographic, it is then very likely that patient of that particular demographic can delay seeking treatment, and that becomes a public health issue. So I mentioned earlier that there are a lot of first-generation immigrants from all over the world uh, where I live in this part of New Jersey. Uh, we are very diverse here. I, I myself am a first-generation immigrant from Taiwan. My ethnicity is Chinese, but, but I'm not from mainland China. And I know that patients whose English is not their first language struggle to express um, themselves to the doctors. I knew that when I first came to the country, I struggled for a quite some time. And so they may speak functional English, but not enough to understand medical terminology, and they may not know the right questions to ask. One of the reasons that prompted me to write my first book was my late father, uh, who had prostate cancer for about 12 years before he passed. And uh, so I used to take him to Sloan Kettering uh, Memorial once a month for his cancer treatment. And although he was completely fine speaking uh, functional English, I had to translate everything for him because he didn't quite understand how the American medical system worked. And I was translating CAT scans, MRI reports, and bone scan reports to him, communicating back and forth between him and his oncologist. And that was a tough job. So I said to myself, you know, what would other people do? And so in this book that was just uh, published actually this week, uh, Pulling Wisdom, uh, this is uh, about cultural competency based on my personal experiences. I uh, describe a lot of experiences, how healthcare professionals may learn to communicate with patients who are from a diverse background. That's a really good point. First of all, I really like the title of that book. Pulling wisdom. Yeah, <laughs> it's all puns in the book. <laughs> yeah, it's very clever. It's very clever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but you know, communication is the key. And if you can't relate to your patients, then that becomes a challenging part in itself. Um, but I, I want to make this point. This world is ever evolving with technology and especially in our specialty, you know, the innovation has completely changed the way we do things. So the important question to ask is, does diversity drive innovation? I know in the business world, they have done some large studies looking at successful companies, and it has shown results that favor diversity, driving innovation and financial success. That's very true. And one thing that I like to add is that diversity certainly brings new talent and different experience, challenges to the norm. But the more important thing than recruiting new talent is maintaining it. And having a clear and safe family planning is one of those pillars. Our sister specialty, the plastic surgery specialty, recently added a personal leave policy that allows 12 weeks of personal leave that's available to residents in both integrated and independent plastic surgery residency training program. These 12 weeks can be used for maternity leave, paternity leave, medical leave, or foster care. What does it take to make this a reality for our specialty? I think that's an excellent question and uh, really great points there. Uh, I believe that uh, key leaders, uh, especially program directors, can um, make policies and impl in implementations that can help to support residents who are starting a family during the residency. And as far as I understand, 
that they are programs that help to support female residents through pregnancy and childbirth. And those residencies who finished the program, who were helped, were very grateful. They went on to become great surgeons and contribute to their community. So any leaders who have power to make those changes are certainly encouraged to make those changes and make waves. I will share with you my personal story. Um, I had to take uh, my oral exam over uh, through two pregnancies and childbirth. Uh, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. Uh, my first oral exam, I was two weeks postpartum uh, stranded in Newark Airport for eight hours trying to get to Chicago in the snowy February. That was the last year oral board was held in Chicago. I was completely not in the condition to travel, but I felt that I had no choice. Everything was a blur. I had a hard time doing board preparation while raising babies and working. And I thought to myself, you know, it would be great if there was some kind of policy that can help to extend a year of preparation in situations like that to help new mothers getting situated. And I'm really calling to action for policymakers to consider an extension for women surgeons who have due dates are really close to board examination dates. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what you were going through. <laughs> First of all, I can personally relate to the pregnancy part. I just passed my oral boards, and trust me when I say this, studying while being pregnant was not easy. No, yeah. And only, I mean, I don't care how many kids you've had as a man, but only if you've been pregnant, you know what it's like to be pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And then raising kids, it's a whole other story. But finding energy to even get through the day is challenging at times, you know. So back to your point of having our governing institutions making exceptional rules for us, I think many women will agree with you on this front. I personally know someone who was postpartum breastfeeding during a written board exam, and all she wanted was extra time to be able to pump during this eight-hour test. And although it seems like a simple request to make, it was, it wasn't simple to her and her request was actually denied. I mean, mm -hmm. it blows my mind. Why, how, how can someone deny that kind of request? You know, I understand it's not a norm, but anyways, so precisely why we need to voice this concern. They're unique to female counterparts and they need to be heard and acted upon. So you have some numbers on hand for us as to how many women are practicing as OMS in the USA. So considering that more and more women are making up the majority of dental school classes, the scale is tipping towards more women in dentistry. But surprisingly, that number has inclined at the same rate for our specialty. What do you think is the reason why most women shy away from this specialty? Sure, really. When I look at the data from 2018 to 19, um, um, dentistry and medicine concurrently, uh, data of the American Dental Association, American Association of Medical Colleges have concurrently reached 50.5% female students in the first year of entering class. Um, surgery continues to lag behind, and currently we have 8% AMOS female members. According to last year's AMOS data, there are 10% full-time faculty members out of uh, 440 full-time faculty members who are female, and 16% female residents according to last year's data. Now, we know that longer surgical training is a major reason and a lot of potential uh, female applicants to look at the surgical specialty as a choice of dichotomy between uh, family and career. They don't think that it can have both. And many women have been told not to get pregnant or start a family during the residency. Uh, the atmosphere has been unfriendly, and this is where the gender disparity sits in the profession of warm-ass official surgery. 
So uh, in essence, there are layers of discouragement to get through the process of surgical training. I think that we need to encourage more uh, coaching or mentorship programs. And this doesn't have to be only happen in the residency training program or dental school level. There are many uh, social media groups that meet that the female prospects can join and sound off. I recently just gave a talk to Boston University's Pre-Dental Society where quite a few women were at the last year of college. They're not even dental school yet, but they felt very compelled or encouraged to look further into surgical specialty. And I really think that having an opportunity to learn about their specialty early is the key. If you would agree, our specialty is one of the least understood specialties. I know for myself, when I was in college, I had no idea about what oral mesofacial surgery was about. And if you don't know enough, you can't make a decision. So I'm working on a book project that is part of the American Dental Association Leadership Program that we mentioned about um, the Institute for Diversity and Leadership Program. My current project um, is to design a book for women or maxillofacial surgeons or to aspire more young women into entering a surgical specialty. And this is titled Behind the Scalpel, Practical Guide and Stories by Women or Maxillofacial Surgeons. So this is a book that has many successful stories from different uh, women OMFS, including the both of you. And I really <laughs> have the pleasure of having the both of you as co-contributors to share a personal journey in the book. I think this is a great collaboration. I plan to include a lot of other useful resources in the book. And I want young women from a college level up to pick up the book, feel inspired, and maybe feel that they can identify with one of the role models and want to apply for the surgical specialty. So just to mention on um, the book that was just published, Pulling Wisdom, which is about cultural competency for healthcare professionals. This is right now on Amazon, and it's about uh, building cultural competency uh, further. Um, there's a particular chapter that I wrote dedicated to women practitioners, which I call the two syndrome. Um, so if you can relate, um, sometimes we are too tall or too short, or mm -hmm. um, maybe our uh, clothes are too tight or um, we look too young, you know, so mm -hmm. I believe yeah. that a lot of people can relate to that on that level. No, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm actually very excited for your book to come out. Um, I think that sharing our journey will help many women relate to our stories and pursue the specialty. And I wish I had these resources at hand when I was applying back in the day. You know, I was, I was completely clueless. I had no idea what the specialty entailed and stuff just sounded cool. <laughs> and I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a mentor to help guide you in the right direction. And this mentorship doesn't even have to be from a woman or just one person. You know, it could be a man too. This is a good time to mention the Woman in OMS Mentorship Program. This program was started by Roemus and was led by Lindsay Graves from Parkland and Ashley Y from Jacksonville. It's a free program for women that pairs up an OMS resident with either a current student or pre-dental student interested in pursuing OMS. To this day, they have a total of 47 mentors and 93 mentee. The first round of matches happened earlier this year, and the second round of matches will be happening this June. The program is on a rolling application basis, and they do matches approximately every three to four months with the hope to expand to all genders in the near future. 
The Women in OMS Mentorship Program is one of the ways to engage dental and pre-dental students who have an interest in OMS early on. And Kathy, your book is going to make a significant contribution to this cause as well. Thank you very much for encouragement. I um, am really excited and thrilled to learn more about this mentorship program. I definitely think that that's something that will help more women to uh, get better and uh, feel more supported, most of all. Mm-hmm. So when does this book come out so the audience are aware? Yeah, so I am actively working on it very hard, and uh, I would like to aim for this book to publish in the fall. Uh, we have a little setback because of the COVID, and um, but because of the COVID, I actually was able to put some more time into this particular project. Um, I would like this uh, book to be able to come out in the fall, um, mainly because I was uh, hoping that by the uh, Amos Convention, you know, I will be able to share with uh, a lot of you. Uh, so personally, I'm just working very hard on achieving that timeline. Um, I have so many wonderful contributors that I need to thank for dedicating their time uh, to give me, share with me their stories, to entrust me with their uh, personal uh, information, including the two of you to make this project possible. And I do realize that this is very ambitious. Uh, so I hope that I can achieve my goals within that timeline. We are actually um, thankful that you included us in this project and we got to share our stories with you as well. Yeah. Well, we have a uh, old Romax Bax podcast by two women. So, you know, here you go. I <laughs> read about this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I feel that talking about equality is not enough. Uh, leaders have to demonstrate their commitment to their actions. And and to do that, visibility is the key. You know, mm-hmm. having a visibly diverse group of representatives within our health institutions can provide a national forward momentum to create inclusion at leadership and faculty levels. Exactly. And we have achieved this gender parity in medical education. But as Kathy, you mentioned with your statistic, you know, the employment and the leadership position in particular are not diversified. How can established leadership help alleviate the imbalance between admission to recruiting? Um, you uh, have mentioned earlier about a mentorship program uh, for Amos um, from a resident standpoint, and I think that's really a really great first step. Um, mentorship program from college or dental school program or even resident level would really help to uh, raise awareness and show students just what the specialty is about. Um, I'm hoping that my upcoming book, Behind the Scalpel, with all of you in it, uh, will be able to encourage people to aspire young women and also to help them. And I hope that this book can be used as a teaching or learning tool to pass on knowledge and for women to want to pursue surgery. I also think that women should voice themselves more and step up to leadership positions and just don't wait to be asked before um, anyone else. And just because you may not want to sound too aggressive or worry about how you may be perceived. And if you feel that you feel strongly about admissions, you know, look for the opportunity to voice your concerns and network, make friends and make more uh, initiatives. Mm-hmm. I think another point to mention here is the importance of elevating each other. You know, we have to be our biggest allies. And this cannot be done without the help of our male counterparts. Or if we are talking about racial diversity, then our Caucasian counterparts. Exactly. Definitely. I think that women need to support women in a real sense. Um, 
more so than we talk about it quite a bit. We do need to show in action and lift each other up and to celebrate each other's successes. And this doesn't mean that women are against men. This is really not a war between men and women. And in fact, I have many, many male colleagues that are really, really supportive of what I'm doing in my mission. Um, so I believe that reaching diversity and inclusion has to be a concerted effort from men and women. A perspective recently uh, was the talk that Mindy gave about like to the Harvard graduation ceremony. And she was saying that a lot of times, you know, women uh, compete with women because they think there's only one seat on the table for them. And she was saying that, no, there's like half of those seats at least should be for women. And, you know, we have to kind of remove that sense of um, competition for just one seat rather than really trying to reach equality. Uh, is it should be the the greater goal that we strive we all strive for. That's an excellent point. That's um, I love Mindy Kaling. <laughs> <laughs> She's so funny. I love her. <laughs> I, I definitely think we should create positions. We if we think that there are less seats for women. We can create them. We can mm-hmm. make things. You know, we can make them an initiative and create them for ourselves. Yeah. So how do we help our specialty be more diverse? The current trend, I know that mostly Northeast program or big metropolitan cities have uh, programs with more women, but I think we still lack that in a lot of other places throughout America. Yes. Um, so in general, coastal states are more diverse, and uh, which is understandable because immigrants all first land along the coast. There were a recent survey that I did in my presentation we to show the map of America in terms of diversity. And we definitely get more along the coast uh, as being more diverse. New Jersey is number four and New York is number five. Uh, I believe California was number one. Um, so these are not surprising findings. And I believe that, you know, diversity and inclusion is a really important topic um, for America per se. Um, and this should be included as in practice management breakout sessions with any kind of major organization event on the local, um, state, or national level. And if the training program is more homogenous, let's say it's in the middle of the country and maybe traditionally uh, the makeup of the residents are more um, homogenous, it is then especially important to have training in diversity and inclusion. Uh, so I do encourage leaders in the key position to dedicate more time to make efforts in order to make the program more diverse. And it's definitely an effort to deviate from the longstanding tradition of the program, um, how it has been for the past 30 years. But selecting a diverse team is really just the first step. Inclusion is really to embrace but not tolerate individual differences. So I encourage educators to spend some time teaching residents about diversity and inclusion once they learn about it. And so I've been doing a lot of work myself on different platforms to promote diversity and inclusion through writing and speaking in the past year, and I'd like to talk about it more in the future. You know, one of the things that uh, Kathy and really we spoke a little bit before we started recording is kind of this this concept of not knowing how to advocate for ourselves or not knowing how to what are the skill sets that we need to gain? So I think a key element for leadership uh, to, to be proactive about this is to actually train 
minorities to be a better leaders. And, you know, here mm-hmm. at uh, Mount Sinai, actually, I completed a leadership training, was, which is very new for even health industry itself to train doctors to think as leaders. Truly, we always say that, like, oh, we are leaders of community, but what does that really mean? Like, all the little soft skills that you need to actively work on. So I like to put it out there that if we want to be really inclusive and really bringing each other up, we have to expand training similar to the ADA leadership program that you guys having. You know, we have to train a lot of uh, skills and pass it on. It is a very good point. I, I And that's one of the reason why I'm involved in different platforms outside the professional of dentistry and oral maxillofacial surgery. Um, a lot of the leadership programs are offered outside our profession. And mm-hmm. um, even just to attend those type of leadership training program, you can gain a lot and bring different perspective back to our own profession. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like business world is so much on top of this, mm-hmm. more so than medical profession has ever been. But one thing we forget is that a lot of medicine is still business. You know, hospitals are big yes. businesses. Private practices are big businesses. And a lot of those principles also apply to us. Absolutely. Kathy, can you, you know, we talked a lot about impacts, the positive impacts of diversity and inclusion in our, especially our, our specialty. But what are some studies that support this thinking? Sure. Um, I came across in my search when I was doing diversity and inclusion uh, writing, uh, Dr. Shahi Aziz from uh, Rutgers University has done studies on diversity with the emphasis more on racial disparity. Uh, in 2010, he has uh, published an article uh, in JOMS to compare national demographics uh, for, to data from American Dental Association, American Association of Medical Colleges. And he has found that there's a mismatch and underrepresentation of blacks and Hispanics providers, and there's an overrepresentation of whites and Asians. And so the most apparent problem is that patients tend to like to go to pro- provider of the same race or religion. For example, he gave an example that people will look for him based on his last name and assuming that he's a certain religion. And patients who are underrepresented tend not to seek care if they uh, are not going to their doctors because of the fact that there are less providers, then there's uh, often lead to a delay in treatment, uh, such as cancer. And there's a uh, great impact because of that uh, because of that reason. So he did a follow-up article or study. Uh, in fact, there's going to be an upcoming chapter, uh, which is uh, going to be in the August um, Clinics of America. Um, I had uh, the pleasure to actually read it firsthand uh, to, uh, when I was preparing for the uh, presentation. So comparing to 10 years ago, there has not been too much change, and he's finding very similar results as certain demographics are still being underrepresented. So we are still seeing the same trend. Um, last year, I came across Dr. Janice Lee's uh, article uh, that she wrote for JOMS, and it's called From Ripples to Maverick. And in her article, she has set a goal to reach 30% um, women by 2030. In order to do so, we need to encourage at least uh, one woman in every three to be in the leadership seat. Um, Dr. Daniel Laskin has written many articles in the past decades to investigate the atmosphere in the residency program relating to female residents as well. Yeah, I think those are some of the great resources, and I'm glad that some people in our specialty have taken initiative to do this. So how can we, as female OMS, get more involved and bring the necessary changes to foster inclusion and diversity? 
I believe that you do need to uh, voice yourself more and volunteer yourself to take the leadership seat. It is not always the easiest thing to do, uh, but there are uh, networks that you can connect with your uh, colleagues uh, to step out from the comfort zone. If there's nothing uh, that you see, uh, create an initiative, something that you feel very strongly about that should be changed. Um, voice yourself, create something from nothing. That's very good advice. And you have certainly walked that um, talk. Uh, because you do so many different things. So just uh, I can't wait to read more about your stories in your book. And I definitely, you know, seeing by example. So this may or may not come as a surprise, but research data shows that companies that are diverse perform better. Really alluded to this earlier in our talk. According to McKinsey and company research data, diversity has a positive impact on many key aspects of an organization, such as a strong customer orientation, increased employee satisfaction, a more robust talent pool, improved decision making, and overall enhanced company image. That's not just all. It also has positive impacts on the overall financial success of the company. How does this translate to healthcare? This diversity and inclusion issue is not unique to OMS. It's also prominent in other medical specialties such as urology, orthopedic, and cardiothoracic surgery. Yes, I believe that um, healthcare profession as a whole works you no know, differently from any kind of corporate environment when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Um, it may not appear to be like that in uh, on the surface, but uh, certainly hiring diversity, uh, as I mentioned before, is only the first step. Inclusion is a much bigger and harder job. It is about embracing differences, not only to tolerate, but promote to understand the differences on a personal level. So inclusion has to happen organically by promoting a positive atmosphere. And once you have done that, uh, you will be able to encourage a more harmonious uh, environment and to stimulate uh, more talents, more ideas, uh, to bring more new uh, strategies into the, the whole organization. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, I know my cousin works for a big pharmaceutical company and they celebrate every holiday. You know, it doesn't matter which holiday it is. They celebrate Diwali, they celebrate Christmas. So that way you, you get to create an environment where everybody gets to learn each other's culture, food, and as a person better, you know, you can work together better. That's true. That's true. It's, it's a very interesting that you just mentioned that because I actually wrote about that in my book, uh, Pulling okay. Wisdom, as one <laughs> of the strategies uh, to increase um, diversity and inclusion. Um, I uh, recommend uh, celebrating cultural events in the practice. So mm -hmm. even in a small practice, we may have staff from different cultural backgrounds and, you know, to celebrate different holidays, have them bring different food. Um, and mm -hmm. in my book, I talk about food a lot because I like to cook. And, um, I have, I run a Facebook group called the Talented Dentist and a lot of people, um, show their food picture on it. I think that's the lowest denominator to bond people together. So it's so <laughs> interesting that you said that. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to send you some of my pictures from my RX. Absolutely. <laughs> Love to see it. Reedy has a whole separate Insta account about <laughs> making food, healthy food, <laughs> within a reasonable amount of time. So, <laughs> quick meals. <laughs> <laughs> so, we know that we have some huge hurdles ahead of us, but we also know that some of the disparities that are evident in our specialty begin well before residency. 
they're basically a result of years of disparities in our early education system. There's no question that a lack of diversity has been an ongoing issue for our residency training. If we can show more diverse leadership at every level, I'm sure we can find ways to attract a more diverse group of students to participate in our specialty. And our conversation about this topic doesn't end here. But for today, Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time and diving deep into this complex topic with us. And we still have a long way to go. Yeah, no, Kathy, thank you so much for being with us here today. You were very active over Insta and Facebook and in your community and in our organization as well. And we really appreciate all your hard work. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been um, so I feel so honored to be here and to be able to share my personal journey with you and you uh, with me as well. I feel very privileged and I hope that, you know, we can go into a more positive direction uh, with more changes that comes in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sure. Looking forward to a bright future. <laughs> yeah. But for our listeners, we hope this was an educational episode and please feel free to share this and follow us on Instagram. And until next time, goodbye.